Hello, hello. We are back with Words First Marketing. I'm Matt Banker. And today I have Kelly Scholl. She is the founder of Storyfy Marketing, and she's a story brand guide that primarily works with B2B SaaS and tech companies. And so we're going to have a conversation today about how do businesses in that space implement story brand? Where do they get hung up? And what are the things they really need to pay attention to when they're thinking about how to better use story brand principles in their own marketing and communications and all that? So Kelly, welcome. What, give us a, I don't know, give us your background. Why do you work with tech companies? Yeah. Hey, Matt, it's great to be with you today. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So, my background actually is in higher education. That's where I started my career, did marketing within higher ed for about 20 years. So, I have always worked with nerds, but kind of at the end of the day. I've always worked with PhDs, academics, researchers. So that is my jam. Nerds are my jam. Tech was a very easy, you know, sort of easy thing to sort of move into after higher ed because, and again, because I'm based in Pittsburgh. So Pittsburgh mm -hmm. does have a burgeoning tech scene. I wanted to be right in the middle of that. So that's primarily why I position myself within tech. And I love it. I absolutely love it. What do... What do tech people love about StoryBrand and what do they struggle with? That's kind of an open-ended question, but how, how would you answer that? Yeah, so I think it comes down to, you know, the more user-focused a company already is. So, you know, I'm talking about if they, I mean, we all sort of design for users in a way, but if are they product-based, are they service-based? So I feel like the more centered they are in their user, so they're, they're familiar with design thinking, they're familiar with human-centered design, they're already thinking along the lines of like designing for a user, of designing a user experience that's going to be centered on the user. They are the ones that I find that embrace StoryBrand right away because it the concept makes sense to them. Maybe they haven't been doing it. Maybe they have been painting themselves as the hero. You know, after all, these are engineers, these are developers, they're super smart and their tech is in a lot of ways, you know, it's complex, it might be deep. So maybe up until now, they've been making their themselves the focus and their product, the features, the focus. But, you know, if I, I find that they really embrace that aspect of story brand that, that, you know, your customer is the hero, the user is the hero. So, yeah, I mean, that hopefully that answers the first part yeah. of the question. <laughs> yeah, so they especially folks who are understanding that kind of human-centered design and, and they're thinking about how do we make this as easy as possible for the end the end user of the product. But you work primarily with B2B SaaS, right? And so you and I were talking about this a bit before. The user might be a member on a team, but the, the buyer or the decision maker or the committee is not necessarily the one that is, A, experiencing the pain that this product or service solves, and, and the buyer is not necessarily even necessarily going to use the product a lot. And so there's kind of this, this switch in terms of marketing, like who, who the, mar the customer you're marketing to and, the, and the product, who the product is for are not always the same person. Is that, is that fair? And, you know, maybe unpack that for us a bit. Yes, that is hundred percent accurate. I, I don't think I've worked with a client yet that we haven't had 
so a lot of back and forth about this. So actually, you know, who is who is the hero? Who is the customer? Because again, they're so used to focusing on the users. They design experiences for users, and that is who is in their head. That they're mm -hmm. trying to get inside the user's head. Well, now it's taking them out of that and saying, okay, no, who is actually buying the product or service that you're selling? It's like, oh, okay, wow. And so that's a huge shift for them. And in so many cases, and these are for established companies, they have not given it any thought. I mean, their sales team has. Right. But, you know, as, as a company, as a brand, like they really haven't focused on, you know, this character at all, the buyer. So the, so yes, that is where we start. We always start with that conversation. And again, it fits in a lot of times with how they're already thinking. They're thinking in terms of a user journey, we flip it over to a buyer journey. And, and we, when we make it all about the buyer and we start to have that conversation, a lot of times then it, it clicks for them. Like, okay, wow, this is a completely different person. And then it's, it's really exciting for them to think about, okay, what is this person's aspiration? How do we get them from here to there? How do we make them the hero within, you know, their, their company? How do we make their company, you know, how do we make, how do we look at success for their company? How do we look at success for them personally? It's why I love B2B. It's that added element of the business, the character mm -hmm. of the business and the actual business person that we're selling to. So yeah, it's, it's a tough hurdle, but once we, you know, get over it together, then we're just off to the races. Yeah. I, I mean, it's kind of a totally different world, but one of the, I don't know, an analogy I think of is companies who sell like a, a service or a, a product that is meant for kids but they're always selling to the parents, right? And so right. The, this person, you know, upper, like up in the organization, they do care about the the flourishing, the happiness of their team, but they're like the things that they actually care about, it's still a little, little bit of a subtle shift. They, they're they not necessarily motivated. Like, <laughs> I don't know, I think about this kid in analogy, like when you market to kids, you want like, everything to be like bright colors and like making a lot of noise and all of that. And like kids love all that, but that's not necessarily like what the parents want for their kids either. Right. And so yes. you got to be thinking about like, this is a, you know, maybe a C-suite level person mm -hmm. who's talking about their, like your product's going to help their sales team or it's going to help their customer service department. But they like all of the wish list of everybody in those departments may not exactly line up with what the business priorities are or what exactly. the C-suite, mm -hmm. you know, person cares about for them or, you know, for the business. Okay. So you mentioned maybe like B2B, right? When people think about tech and, and SaaS, a lot of times they think about like product led, like direct to consumer type type things, but we're talking about how do you talk to businesses. And you also, though, there's a difference between if you have a product or a service. Now, in, in story brand world, if you've been to workshops or you read the book, almost all of the examples and things that they give are, well, A, they're, they're generally a B2C example, right? So it's like a lawn care business or it's a, a donut shop or something like that. And so there's like, once you start implementing StoryBrand, 
sometimes people I find get caught up and they're not quite sure how exactly this translates when they're dealing with B2B. And then on top of that, when you're dealing with like a service instead of a product, the concepts make a ton of sense to people. But then when it comes to implementation, it gets it gets a little difficult. So in that like that switch from B2C to B2B, what what are some of the common conversations that tend to come up and things that you need to think about? It's like a super open-ended question. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start from the beginning. I mean, the, that objection typically is addressed in the sales process. So before we even get into the messaging, before we even get into the actual execution of StoryBrand, you know, that's one of the first objections that comes up if, if it's there. And again, it depends on how deeply they've delved into, have they done business made simple? You know, how much of it have they consumed? Mm-hmm. Have they done a live workshop? But yes, that is a very common question, objection, concern. I, I think probably the, the way I tend to address it, and even as it comes up through our going through the whole process, is, you know, just the human aspect. Like we're all people selling to people. At the end of the day, like we're just like you're, you know, designing for humans, you know, just like you're designing a product for humans, just like you're delivering a service to humans, people buy from people. And so there is a lot of that's where I think the common, you know, the carryover is it's like, yes, maybe this is a product that looks different from yours. It's an audience that looks different from yours, but we still got to hit this. We still got to go through those steps to really nail that position and nail that, you know, who your audience is. And, you know, there's still some fundamental questions that we still need to answer if we're going to be able to reach, you know, your target audience member, you know, whether they're in a business context or, or whether it's in a business context or not. So, yeah, I mean, it's that, it's that common ground of just, we need to, we're we're people and we need to appear Mm. as, as human as we possibly can. We still need to build trust. We still need to build authority. We still need to have empathy regardless of whether it's, it's a B2B or B2C kind of situation. Yeah. I think classically when, when people are talking about like tech solutions, engineers, nerds, like love the problem that they're solving and can get really focused on like all of the cool things that our our thing can do like the the features and and all of that and do you find that it is is it difficult for for the audience that or the the customers that you work with to kind of let go of some of that like feature focused language and and emphasis and move more into the benefits and kind of aspirational side that StoryBrand really helps encourage you to do? It is. Oh my goodness. It is so difficult. I mean, I have a client that I'm working with right now. The entire leadership team is engineers. Uh They don't get it. (laughs) They just like, (laughs) I I mean, I love them and they're amazing at what they do, Uh but it, it is, it is very difficult to move them past. And, And I think what it is, is like, you know, as we move through the framework, they, because, and again, this goes back to kind of the genius of the framework, they, they do have their chance to really mm-hmm. talk about, you know, all of these things that, you know, that go into the product that, that make it great. They don't all make it into the final version, but they yeah. do have their opportunity to really get into that. But then I, I push them further than that. Okay. Yes. You're telling me that, you know, you, it does X, Y, Z. 
But, you know, getting back to what we were saying earlier with the business outcomes, what does this mean for the business? You know, what, what does success look like? And oftentimes it takes two or three times, two or three rounds of that question. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. But we're still not there. We're still not there. But once we get there and those things actually resonate with them, you know, even with the engineers, because they've seen it, like they've mm-hmm. seen it in the clients that they work with, they've seen it in their own customers. And they start to, they start, it's, it's all about story, right? It's all, so those stories start to come to their mind of the times that they really honed in on their why, or the times that they really saw a client experience success. Then it starts to be a little bit more real and personal for them. I think that's the key is just, Mm -hmm. you know, they're so used to standing on that, on, on their, on the features Mm -hmm. of the product. But yeah, it's, it's getting, it's tapping into their why, because we all have that. Sure. Um, that really gets them excited about what they do, then yeah, that's what gets the the good results. I think there's there's a lot of what we would call curse of knowledge in mm-hmm. when when you're a really smart person, you know so much about it that you intuitively understand how such and such feature leads to like whatever outcome. And it it's almost like you you can't separate those two things. Like, well, obviously, because it does this, you're going to get this. And I like to think about it, or I use the word picture of like, like a connect the dots picture, right? And so your features are all those different dots. And you can, you can give someone a page that has the dots, right? And if you look at it, you can kind of get the outline. You can kind of tell what this is as an adult, you know, I've got a four-year-old and, you know, she may not know that it's going to be an elephant yet, but I can kind of like see that there. But when you, when you're able to use language to really con the lines that connect those dots, those are like the, the benefits or the outcomes. And then you're really able to paint the full picture and they can see how the features lead to these other things that are, and that's, that's the stuff that actually drives sales, right? People, people are yes. buying, you know. I mean, the old adage is like they don't, they're not buying a a quarter inch drill, drill bit. They're, they're buying a quarter inch hole. Like that's what they actually want. (laughs) I'm totally going to steal that connect the dots. I I love that. Yeah. Well, what are some of the other things that you found, you know, everybody like learns differently and kind of goes through the process of, of figuring out their story brand, brand script and doing wireframes. What are some of the things that you've found have been really helpful to make that process go well for, for engineers and people that are kind of in that more like technical space? Yeah. So I, I try to speak their language. I try to approach it as, you know, this works especially well when I'm working with service-based firms that, you know, they, maybe they do UX design, maybe they do, you know, development and software engineering. I try to approach the process in a very similar way that they do with their clients. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as far as the actual messaging sessions, you know, themselves, I, I do my sessions on Miro. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, we're all online together and can really get a good visual of exactly what we're, they can see exactly what we're doing. They can, you know, give input throughout the process. That to them is very similar to a design thinking. You know, it's it's a very common platform for a design thinking workshop. And so that that it's just trying to make them feel 
comfortable. Like they kind of can kind of feel like, oh, wow, this is familiar because maybe going into it, they're thinking, I hate marketing. <laughs> Why is my boss making me do this? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, like, I, I just, I don't understand what I'm going to contribute to this. You know, a lot of mm -hmm. times, I mean, I love having ears in the room. But that is a lot of times, you know, they're, they're thinking that, that that's, you know, this is not going to work for them or they're going to feel out of place or so. Yeah, I try to set set the stage in, in a way that's familiar to them so that we can, you know, kind of overcome that fear. Do most of your clients, when you start working with them, do they are they already bought in to story brand? They understand it and they, this, they want to do story brand or, or is it that they've heard that Kelly is really great with words and they want to work with Kelly, but you have to then introduce them to the process. Yeah. So I would say lately, like in the past couple of years, I've gotten a lot more story brand aware clients than I ever was at the beginning my general rule when a, a client comes to me and maybe it's through word of mouth, you know, maybe it's through a referral and they have no under, you know, no background mm -hmm. at all with story brand. I've never heard of it. I do not introduce it into the process. I don't ever use those words. I will, however, you know, it through, especially with using the mirror board. So I'll refer to it as a messaging framework. This is a brand message mm -hmm. framework and I will, you know, use very simple visuals to sort of say, hey, hey, we're trying to take this from, we're trying to take our buyer from here to there. What is it that we're doing to help them get mm -hmm. from here to there? You know, what problem are they experiencing right now? That's kind of how I set the stage, like just very simple, very simple language to kind of get a, a common, a commonality, like let's all get on the same thing here but I don't introduce story brand. I don't try to teach them story brands if they don't know story. Yeah. And I actually think that that is, that's one is a testament to how powerful it is as a tool and a framework is it's not, it's not good because it's associated with a brand. It's good because it is a really good tool. And, and like you said, to get everybody on the same page. I think one of the things I found a lot of businesses don't realize this when they first start working with the story brand guide or with a guide strategist copywriter who you know how, however they think of you they don't realize how helpful it is to have a third party outside voice and for that person to have a structured framework because i think in a lot of businesses especially if you've got multiple stakeholders or like a team or a committee the default is then to like go to the loudest or most insistent voice mm. in the room. And so like the strongest opinion wins out, not necessarily the best one. And in, I don't know, in, in tech companies, is that typically maybe the most, like the most knowledgeable, like, you know, proficient person? Maybe that's one of the reasons why a lot of these companies end up with so many features and kind of jargony language because they're relying on the person who knows the most to like come up with the the ideas. But I, has that been is that similar to what you've experienced? It really does depend on who's in the room. So mm -hmm. if I you know if I've got a marketing if they do have an internal marketing person and that marketing person is in the room, I have seen you know higher level people defer to that marketing mm -hmm. person because they don't have the confidence that they mm -hmm. are going to say the right words. 
because when mm -hmm. I'm asking those questions, you know, it, it is because they've never thought about it in that way before there's hesitation. Like I'm mm -hmm. going to say the wrong word, marketing person, you, you know, words, you, mm -hmm. you answer the mm -hmm. question. So there, and that's why I do like to get those different voices and especially, you know, a salesperson, a lot of times they will have the voice of the customer. Mm -hmm. So the voice of the customer is really important to introduce. And, you know, the ideal situation is when everyone defers to the voice of the customer. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't always happen, especially when you have a, a really established company and a really, you know, they've been around for a long time and they really mm -hmm. know their stuff and, you know, oh, well, they don't know what they're talking about. No, they're just your customer. Yeah. So, yeah, I really, it, so the, the success a lot of times does depend on, you know, how attuned they are to the voice of the customer. Have they d taken that time to really drill down, be intentional about who they're targeting? And this isn't, this is not always personas. You know, a lot of times they get wrapped up in personas, all of the details around personas. No, mm -hmm. that's not, you know, that's not really the same thing. It's have you talked to your customer? Have you surveyed your customer? Have you interviewed your customer mm -hmm. in depth? And so, yeah, I, I'd say, you know, the ideal situation is when they're deferring to the voice in the room that is the one who has mm -hmm. that closest relationship with the customer and really understands. So, and when there's, yeah, and, you know, you've got, you get those team dynamics, you get those where, you know, no one's really sure who to defer to. And yeah, that's when there's, can be trouble. I, I like to start off like initial engagements. I try to get everyone who has basically who has a voice or a vote or a veto, mm -hmm. I think is the three about this project. I want them in the room for the first session. And that's really yeah. about like getting everyone on the same page. But it's not always beneficial to have all of those people like doing the actual work. Do you have kind of an ideal, like if you could pick your dream team within a company of who, like, who are you working like a, that small group who, which, which voices do you want on that team to help work through the, the framework and develop the brand script for a company? Yeah, I would say, you know, the founder is, is great to have there again, as long as there's that respect for uh -huh you know, the, the rest of their team. So I, I would say the founder, the person who owns the marketing function and the person who owns the sales function, mm -hmm. typically that's enough, but I have, you know, and, and sometimes the clients that I'm working with, a lot of the times that those, even the people who fill those roles have some kind of an engineering mm -hmm. background so they can still speak to things that would be important, you know, they kind of have an under, a very deep understanding of the product or service, and they can mm -hmm. still speak to that. I would say, you know, those, those three would, would probably be my ideal. But yeah, I agree with that approach to get everyone in the room for just that very first, you know, kind of kick off. Okay, who do we really need to have? And, and, you know, I, I actually have had clients who've had someone, a director of client success, a great, a great person to have as well. Yeah. It's another client facing, like they're hearing mm -hmm. from their customers about what problems they're, they're encountering and, and that kind of stuff. If you've looked at a lot of story brand websites, you can kind of recognize like a story branded website. Now, not, I'm going to, I'm going to caveat this to say, if you're a business owner, and you go out looking for a story brand guide, you'll probably see a lot of websites that look kind of similar. But then if you actually compare yourself, like to you look at your, your 
competitors and things, it's not as common as you might think it is in the world. So that's this is kind of my caveat. But StoryBrand sort of has a fairly established way of, you know, building, we're talking websites here, building out the the kind of look and flow of a website. Tech and like SaaS also seems to have a really, I don't know if to me, it feels like it's becoming almost more and more rigid or, or the same, like every tech, tech, every tech or SaaS company website kind of looks similar. You know, there, there's always a, a lot of temptation that you want to, you feel like you got to look like your industry in order to be taken seriously. And so I think there's a lot of pull to be for a, for a business to want to look like other tech and SaaS companies. And then there's this like story brand thing. Do you, do you, I know neither of us think that those things are in conflict, but what, how do you go about kind of solving that, that problem? Do you tell them, Hey, let go of SaaS. Let's really embrace embrace story brand. Is it is it a mixture? What what are what are those kind of conversations looking like? Yeah, I honestly haven't had too many clients that have come to me that they're holding tightly to any particular template or framework. You're totally right that they probably it's it's one of those. If I see it, I'll know mm-hmm. you know what it is. But they don't necessarily can't they can't recognize that that that's the case you know coming in and so they they tend to be pretty open especially if they're looking to me to be the expert mm-hmm. it, it's typically further down the process so once mm-hmm. we've already done the copy we've already done the wireframing you know then we get to the point where we have like an actual website for them to look at and then it's like well wait a minute this isn't no we we need this section and we need this and we need to have you know, there should be more on here about, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the getting it back to the features conversation. And so that's typically where it shows up is like, they feel like those things are missing, but then, you know, it's just reminding them going back to that user experience, you know, focus. Okay. But who is it that's actually visiting the website? Who's actually mm-hmm. coming to the website? What's important to them back to that, you know, our buyer is the hero conversation. And then mm-hmm. it starts to make a little bit more sense. A lot of times though, they do have to sort of see it before those, uh, you know, those immediate objections come to the surface. But I, uh, after we have the conversations, uh, you know, it's usually worked out pretty well where they've, they've embraced the sort of the new yeah. paradigm. <laughs> so they've kind of, they've kind of embraced like, all right, we're going to go, we're going to, we're going to lean into story brand and they, they get down that path and then they realize it actually leads to a different place than yes. where their competitors are. And and then all of a sudden there's a little bit of this like, oh no, what did we what did we do? Like did yes. we make the right choice, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the path you choose leads right. to a different destination. It it turns out. <laughs> I mean, a good one. I I hope or and I think are there any other like out with story brand or outside of story brand what are are there any other like sticking points that that you find you know folks in that space really struggle with the problem piece mm. yeah the problem piece you, you know you had mentioned it before like engineers you know they they do what they do to so- they solve problems like that's what they do they solve problems and you know so it's it's when we get to that problem piece, it's hard to to frame it so that they understand, you know, and, and I even 
I, I even have a hard time sometimes. Like it's, it is a different way of looking at a problem hmm. as being that obstacle. Like what is that thing that's sitting in the way? And a lot of times what helps them get through that is thinking about the alternatives. You know, hmm. we have that conversation of, okay, what are they doing right now that's not working? And, and typically with, you know, any kind of a software solution, it's they're either following a cobbled together off the shelf automated solution or, you know, they're, they're, it, it's manual. It's a manual process. It's usually one of those two things. So when you frame it that way, it makes a little bit more sense. Okay, so why, like, what they're doing right now isn't working. Why isn't it working as it relates to, you know, sort of that solution that we provide? And so it's where that sort of backpedaling sometimes comes in is when we've, we're visiting the problem. And then sometimes that that shakes other things up. It's like once we actually define the problem, which they're used to doing, again, uh -huh. they do this all the time. Like we need to define the problem, define the problem. But sometimes once we do that, it just throws everything else off. And so it's, it's and that's a hard thing too, because these are linear thinkers. Uh -huh. You know, they like to say, okay, problem, solution, you know, that I, the problem, this is the solution and this uh -huh. is the result. You know, every, every time it's always going to work that way. So it's, it's working with, you know, clients who typically are very linear thinkers and helping them to sort of look at things a different way. Well, sometimes we actually need to go back and, and, and revisit because our problem has taken the conversation in another direction. Like once we have defined the problem. So, yeah, I'd say that that's, that's a really difficult piece of it. Is it difficult to like choose a problem? Like it, the framing and I mean, again, the more you know about something, you know that this could solve different pop problems for different people or like, you know, a, you know, a different customer might think about it different ways. I, I don't know if that's really I see you nodding your head. I, that's I think that's a problem for a lot of clients, whether they're in the tech space or, or anywhere else is this idea that. You need to choose one. And and actually, I think that that's one of the things that's really beneficial about going through the StoryBrand framework is there are different problems you could choose to focus on, but something that's really powerful in the end result for your marketing is actually just making a choice. And I mean, the nice thing about websites and most marketing is it's not like you have to make a choice forever, <laughs> but you do right. have to make what's worse though, is you can't make a choice like, okay, we're just going to emphasize these seven things. And then if that doesn't work, you're nowhere closer to figuring out what will work. But if you do make a more specific choice, <laughs> you can start to like narrow that down. If it's not totally correct the first time, you you do have the option to, to pivot a little bit. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that has so many different, you know, applications. It's, you know, the, the conversation about if you if you appeal to everyone, you're going to end up appealing to no one. If you try to appeal to everyone, you know, it's you're just and then that gets into the use case conversation as well, because it's always like, well, yeah, but what about all these other use cases? And and so that especially with a newer business, you know, mm -hmm. just starting out and just wanting not really sure again not really selling on a use case. And that's why just positioning in general is so important. And just making that decision. This is where we are positioning ourselves. This is who we're going to serve. And then not until you see success, you know, once you kind of see success, then you can expand those use cases elsewhere. But yeah, that's, 
that is hard. Yeah. Story rooms are really, I feel like it's a really great shortcut to doing a lot of this stuff, but they're also, you, you could dig deeper in any one of these areas and it would be beneficial, right? Like we kind of substitute really deep, say like or surveys and customer research for like understanding that an owner or a salesperson is going to have a lot of that knowledge in them. And so we use that knowledge to inform the marketing. But if you could do the customer research to really identify these are the problems that I have or, or that get solved, that would be great. Same thing with positioning. You know, you could go through a month, months long process of really figuring out exactly how to position yourself in the marketplace compared to your competitors. And I'm sure that would be super beneficial. But a lot of times if you're in, if you're in a business that, I mean, do you work with a lot of like investment um, backed companies or are these more like bootstrapped? Because I know it, with investment companies, investment backed companies, there's a lot of pressure to move quickly and you don't have time often to do all of these things that would be great, but but you don't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I don't know that I work with one more than another, but yeah, that's always a consideration. Mm. Your, your investors when, you know, when you're venture backed, yeah, that's always, you know, a, a consideration and, and the time factor mm. can be huge, especially when you're looking to launch, you know, you're looking to launch a new product or a new service or enter into a new market. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's not a lot of time. So you are more... <laughs> sometimes going on assumption and that's not yeah. yeah. And and it's in some ways, you know, you could you can approach marketing even with like like an agile framework of, you know, you work on a thing, you ship it, you iterate, you like improve it, you ship it again. You know, that's that's not a terrible way to work on marketing, especially if you have someone to kind of guide you in in those conversations and improve upon it, you know month after month as you get more information about your customers and, and whatever else. Yeah. And it, it is, it's a great way to approach it. But a lot of times, you know, when these companies are coming to me and they have worked with agencies, they, that they feel very restricted. And in addition, they're being, they're being asked to invest very, you know, huge amounts of money up front. So there's a lot more, you know, kind of fear there and resistance to more of an agile process. So yeah, that a lot of times is how they would like to approach it. But in the past, you know, that hasn't been their experience. Yeah. Is there anything else just kind of on your mind, either about the services that you, that you provide or like your approach to marketing that kind of, that sets you apart, even within like the, I don't know, having that that framework, I think, sets a lot of marketers apart from sort of the general agency world. But, you know, you have a specific space within even the story brand community. What else should people know about about Kelly and story? Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen so much benefit to being very focused in who I serve. So making that decision, going all in on tech, specifically B2B tech, specifically, you know, product development, software development, enterprise SaaS. That has really, really just being able to go deep into, in terms of the expertise that I'm able to offer, uh -huh. I've, I've seen so much benefit from that. And my clients have seen so much value from that because we're starting from a certain level. You know, they, they come to me and, and we, like, there is no real warm up period. Like, certainly uh -huh. I take the time to really get to know, you know, I have a very in-depth questionnaire. I take the time to get their to know their business, you know, as best I can. 
but they can, you know, they can really have that confidence in just in my level of, of expertise and, and just being able to, again, speak the same language, start from the same level, but then serving as that translator through the whole process. So being the one who is positioned between them and their buyer, I think is a huge value to, to my clients, being able to speak the language of the buyer, you know, the language of the, and I've gotten some, you know, it's been interesting because I, you know, there's first impression, you know, sometimes it, it's, it's like, well, uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. So I love, I love robotics. I love robots. Uh-huh. I love working with robotics clients. I, I think that they're, I mean, they're, they're just, they're amazing. Like they're so passionate. They are so passionate about their robots. And I had some experience with that. My husband actually taught robotics when he was teaching. And so he did the competition, you know, some of the competitions and stuff and just the the pride in the robot and what the robot can do. So a lot of times, you know, I, uh, in initial conversations with the, with the robotics company or with the robotics engineer, you know, there's some hesitation there because they think, well, they look at me, you know, it's like a first impression. They're just like, well, well, you know, like, what do you know about, you know, ro- what I do or why do you right. even care? Like, but then when I really demonstrate to them just the level of excitement that I have for their robot, then it's just like just watching them completely <laughs> transform in front of my eyes. So you get like this nerdy, like socially awkward, you know, kind of robot guys are my favorite. And then just like to, for them to realize like, wow, this person actually really cares about what my robot does. And, and mm-hmm. so it's like starting there, like with, with a genuine excitement and curiosity for the mm-hmm. tech and what it does and how it works. And yeah, talk to me about that. I really want to know. But then being able to come in with this outsider's voice, because again, it's so important to have that outside voice that says, you know, you're not being clear, <laughs> like yeah. yet, like you're not going to get you like, do you want the same level of excitement from your buyer that I have, you know, about your robot? Well, then we're going to need to get more clear about how this is going to what how this is going to bring them value, how this is going to help their business succeed, what kinds of you know business outcomes. So you know, all those things to the table. Yeah, that's there's so much of that that resonates with me. I, I work primarily with accounting firm owners and I have a degree in fine arts which is pretty different than most of my clients. Like their, their background is like, you know, math guys. And I'm, I'm totally from the art side of things, but being able to be like that, that outside marketer can, can be a placeholder for your customer is so important in this process, but they're on your team too, right? You're on the team of your, your clients to help them communicate their message really clearly, but you can also sit in the seat of their customers and really give them a a better a better view of how effective they're being in their communication that they don't necessarily again it's kind of that curse of knowledge but just it you know it's hard to when you when you're so close to a project or a, a mm-hmm. technology or whatever it's so hard to sit then in the seat of a person who doesn't know nearly as as much but also you know that you want them to care so i think that's i think that's great there's a huge benefit obviously to your customers working with someone who has a deep knowledge, a, a trade-off or a, a challenge, I think, for some for us marketers 
I don't know if you feel this way. I, I love to solve new problems. And so when I decided to choose a niche, I was worried, am I going to get bored working with the same types of companies over and over again? But this is me encouraging other marketers to choose a niche. There's actually, there's a different level of satisfaction when you develop mm -hmm. like deep expertise in or with one type of co company. It turns out there's actually a lot more to learn. Like, and, and you're, and every client that you work with benefits, mm -hmm. the next client benefits from all of that experience you've had before. And so it really, it really stacks on top. And then you as a marketer, yeah. that's, that's really satisfying, I think, like to be able to it bring is. that level of expertise. Yeah. I have seen that played out so many times. Yes, it's absolutely true. Well, Kelly, thank you for being on Words First. This is... Tech and SaaS, there's a ton of that happening. In, if someone's listening to this and they've got a company, how would they know if they're a good fit to work with you and how would they find you? Yeah, so they can come to my website, storifymarketing.com. Have a look around. I just recently redid it. So I'd love, love to, to hear feedback on that. I did it on Webflow. Nice. So if you're considering, you know, maybe branching out to Webflow. Yeah, let's talk about that. But yeah, spend some time hanging out there and let's just get on, let's just have a conversation. You know, let's, let's get on a call. Let's, and I would just love to hear, you know, from you, what, just more about your business, more about just what, what really you're look what you've done in the past marketing wise and, and what you're, what you're hoping to do. And I, you know, I want to know all about your business and I want to know how I can help you be successful in whatever we do together. So very good. We will put links in the show notes to Storify and probably to Kelly's profile on LinkedIn or something like that. And you can connect with her there. This has been the Words First the Words First Marketing Podcast and thanks for listening.